Welcome to Recommissioned, a Battlestar Galactica podcast by LSG Media. Hi, I'm Dean, and I've seen every episode of BSG. Hi, I'm Matthew, and I haven't seen any episode of BSG. On this week's episode, we bring you Season 2, Episode 2, Valley of Darkness. Human sacrifice. Not the fairy tales your scriptures would have you believe. I thought Kobo was supposed to be a paradise or something. Some place where gods live with the humans in harmony. Or... For a time, perhaps. Then your true nature asserted itself. Your brutality, your depravity, your barbarism. So the scriptures are all a lie. It's all just a lie, just a cover-up for all this savagery. Exactly. All right, we're back once again for the second episode. I'm excited to talk about this one, Matthew Anderson. Uh, let's dive right in with our initial impressions of Valley of Darkness. Why don't you kick things off? All right. Well, here we are. Some finally, finally getting some straight-up close-up uh, combat with Cylon Centurions hmm. first time, really, uh, seeing it like this. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, maybe it's because I was such a fan of the last episode, this one felt a little bit weaker to me. I didn't I didn't dislike it. I actually still enjoyed it a lot overall. But last episode was real fucking strong. That was a, that was a banger. I was really, really riding high off of that one. And I don't know, man. I actually felt a little underwhelmed uh, by this one as a whole. Um... I don't know. I, I, I'm still kind of working through my feelings as to why. Uh, because I enjoyed a lot of the action. I enjoyed, you know, seeing the actual combat with the Cylons and seeing how strong they are uh, in this situation. But uh, some of the other side stories, it felt a little weaker this time to me. I'm not going to lie, man. So, I don't know. I, I, feel like I, I feel like we'll discover, we'll get to the root of my, my psychological issues with this episode as we talk. But I know you were really looking forward to talking about this one. You were, you were the fucking hype man. You were the public enemy fucking hype man on the stage for this episode, really building it up. Uh, so, yeah, I was, a little, I was a little surprised by my, my own reaction. What's funny about that is my, my reaction and how pumped I was was because I was a little hazy on the details of this episode. And I may have been mistaken uh, um, because what I think, uh, what I thought was going to happen, I think maybe in the next episode, I thought was going to happen in this episode and it didn't. So I think uh, that's why there's something pretty awesome that happens. And I was like, wow, that was fucking awesome and unexpected. I mean, and, it was pretty awesome when Commander Adama drowned that baby. That was like, woo, what a cloud pl- crowd pleaser. Right, right. I mean, <laughs> ultimate birth control. <laughs> right. There's you satisfy everything can be done. You satisfy both parties in a sense because you're it's really just a person murdering your baby, right? <laughs> there's no there's no, you know, it's born, there it is, but then somebody else does it. It's not like you're responsible and they just take the baby and run and throw it in the water. That's <laughs> how they did know, in the but, old days. <laughs> but no, that's not the part I was anticipating. The part I was anticipating has not happened yet which means that I misremembered this episode pretty strongly. But um, but it was pretty decent. I mean, I like boarding operations. I thought that was kind oh, of yeah. fun. Uh, there's some chintzy things that happen in this episode, for sure. But um, I liked it overall. 
but it definitely pales in comparison to the first episode of the season. Um, yeah. I think that I think there's no question about that. Uh, there's a few things that annoy me a little bit as I'm thinking about it, and we'll get to those. But overall, I I kind of enjoyed what was going on here. But I am looking forward to uncovering what you felt and seeing if we can work it out along the way. So it being not quite a stand-up episode as much as say the last episode. Was there anything that stood out to you as the the highlight of the episode? Mm. I mean, the the action itself, which is kind of the bulk of this one, is all is all pretty good overall. I like I liked seeing the um I mean like basically what what affected me the most was the tension of not knowing where the Cylons were. I liked going, cutting back to the CIC and them having kind of an overview of, all right, we're getting a report from here. Or we think they're in this area where they're headed towards the aft. You know, they're headed to here, but we don't really get clear understandings. Like, I think the show, it was probably more of a uh, a production choice, you know, to save money, uh, to, to not be showing the Cylons constantly. And you're kind of hearing just the sounds of gunfire and combat. But I think it works, man. I, I really liked how it almost became a horror movie like especially when the cylons first show up and they we literally first see the the centurion you know attack somebody uh it felt like fucking freddy krueger's boiler room like it was it was scary and i i really liked that kind of change of pace here because so much of the, the cylon threat is kind of a murky mysterious nebulous kind of thing where everybody's trying to figure out what the hell's even going on who might be a cylon and this is back to like good old-fashioned they are just big monster machines here to kill you like with their bare metal hands and it was a more visceral kind of terror which we haven't seen on the show yet so like that that switch up in tone for those those scenes aboard the galactica i actually really really liked um, it was kind of uh, the rest of the, the, the outsider stories of this time around, whereas I normally really love those. And I think the show is a great example of balancing those kind of multiple storylines. I feel like they lagged a little bit this week. Um, I was kind of like, oh, let's get back to the let's get back to the Galactica. <laughs> I want to go back to that part of it. So that those were all I'm, I'm pretty, pretty you know high on those scenes. Interesting. Uh, what side stories were more troubling to you? Honestly. The whole Starbuck and uh, uh, Hilo thing—I I, was—I don't know. They—they've got to—they've got to throw something into this mix. There wasn't a lot going on there, and I don't feel like there's not really much of a revelation about Starbuck, even though it's kind of built built up as one. Uh, I don't know. I feel kind of mixed about that scene. That's one I keep coming back to when I think about it. Interesting. Yeah, I remember that scene favorably, and I and I still liked it this time around. Um, I am also a bit. I would say my opinion of that scene is very colored by that piece of music by uh, the composer named Philip Glass. Uh, oh. So, you know, the music is typically done by Bear McCreary, who's done a lot of music for The Walking Dead. Yeah. But um, this particular piece of music called Metamorphosis was composed by Philip Glass, and I think it's awesome. Um, when I was when I was doing uh, some piano and taking a little bit of lessons, I actually learned how to play that and read the sheet music. So I, I finally oh. think of that piece of music I don't know if I could do it now, but it's funny. While while I was watching that scene, I pulled up the sheet music and I was just kind of following along to it because it's slow. It's not, you know, it's it definitely would be considered a beginner's piece to play, not necessarily compose. Um, yeah. Don't don't get it twisted. You know, composing that and playing that are very different things. <laughs> just look sure. at the Beatles. There's a lot of their shit super easy to to <laughs> to to play. Maybe not to compose, but um, yeah, I um, I remember that favorably, and. It's funny, I was wondering how you were going to take that revelation of her 
because I thought like I thought some of the stuff she said was kind of cool, and I and I think there is some I think there's there's some fruit to be had in that scene outside of. The, I do. I don't. Yeah, mood. I don't think it's a it's a wash, but uh, yeah, I don't know the way the show presents. It's kind of strange. I um, to, unlike yourself though, I found some of the action in the decks to be a little weaker this time around. Um, and maybe that's just because this is me viewing it as more of an aged television show at this point. Um, <laughs> there's little things that bother me. Now, I, I can't stress enough that I was not in, in the military uh, at all. I was. I have no military experience, um, but I do see things that bother me, and I know for sure would bother a good friend of the show, Josh. Uh, oh, yeah. Things like shooting pistols with one hand, things like pilots taking the lead over these Marines. <laughs> yeah, just, just silly things like that. that. But that, yeah. to me, you know what I call that? I, uh, that? I call that Hero Hammer, which is kind of a joke we used to make about the old Warhammer tabletop game where when it was like your characters became more important than your single units, and we used to call it Hero Hammer because like the hero <laughs> characters could do so much damage in like a unit of 30 men. And um, <laughs> right. that's kind of what I'm seeing here. I'm seeing a case of Hero Hammer, which is, well, Lee's the main guy, so we're going to make Venner, you know, a terrified little bitch, and we're going to make you know, the, the other Marines just kind of sort of background noise and and we're going to give a pistol to somebody like Jammer instead of saying, why don't Lee just hold two pistols, shoot, pick up the other pistol, shoot, right? And maybe have right. Jammer reload. Like, silly things like that. Like, you're going to, you just, now, I don't know. I don't, maybe that's not the right tactical choice. Maybe that's too time consuming considering the circumstances. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't I'm not a military tactician. Well, I mean, to be honest, the biggest standout in that scene was when they first discover the uh, the explosive shells that they have left. It's like, mm. oh, there's only six. Well, better spread them out among you guys, these pilots and this scared asshole who is right. alone in here. I'm like, you have like five Marines behind you. Sure. Like, why wouldn't you just give it to them? Like, why are we even thinking about this? Right. It's little things like that that kind of bother me on, on, on just like a problem. realistic level, which is why the scenes with Chief Tyrrell with Sosinus's death stand out to me, which is why Starbucks stands out to me. Like I like, I like the revelation of Starbuck and Hilo when they're on their way to her house. When, when she's deciding she wants to go home, which I thought was just kind of cool. Like for me, I was like, Oh cool. Starbuck is going like home literally to where she lived before she went away. That's wild to me. And like yeah. her saying, her kind of letting Hilo off the hook, like you're a fucking idiot, but guess what? We all are like, they fooled us. <laughs> And it's cool to see her let her guard down a little. And I think that's, I thought that was an interesting standpoint. And I, and I remember at the time thinking, wow, what does this mean? If Starbuck of all people can, can, can have her armor cracked a little bit at the idea of being fooled by these Cylons, does, what does that mean? Is there sympathy brewing? Is what's, what's that mean? What's it going to mean? Yeah. And uh, I definitely like the chief, like dealing with crash down and the chief being the one to kind of put, so sinus under with the morphine like i like that stuff um i like the idea that gaius has been set on this path like hmm adam is going to try to do this terrible thing it's almost like they're saying now we're going to set up a conflict between these two or somehow and what does it mean it's all happened before it'll happen again some of that stuff it's funny i'm almost the opposite of you on this one like i like the side stuff more than i like the corridor action because i yeah. just feel like it's data the cylons look very cg they don't move well, um, yeah. and, and just some of the firefighting was weak. Like you, however, I found the CIC shit awesome. I like Ty. I like Ty still showing his 
tactical awareness to say, here's what they're doing and here's why they're going where they're going. I'm Colonel fucking Ty. I'm a combat veteran. There you go. This is why they're going where they're going where they're going to go. They're going to decompress the goddamn ship. Then they're going to turn the ship's guns I've on the fleet. I've seen this before That's in right. Australia when I was wrestling crocodiles. <laughs> Good time, mate. Thanks again to Paul Hogan. Another fine performance. <laughs> <laughs> that's no battle star. <clears throat> Wait, that's not, Legendary that's not poacher. Legendary poacher. But anyway, stuff like that. But yeah, I'm looking forward to diving into this one. So why don't we do that now? Yes, sir. Ah, oh, yeah. So Billy sees D in the hallway. Uh, we pick up right where we left off which I appreciate. I mean, it is a, uh, you know, it is a sequel, right? It's a, it's a to be continued. True. Yeah. We're picking up in the same moments. And so D and Billy, so let's talk about D and Billy. So D and Billy sort of have this relationship. They were, you know, making out on the observation lounge and getting Mm. cute. And they're both very busy. This guy works for the president and humanity is on the ropes. He's going to be a busy guy. Dual is a communications officer for the flagship of the human fleet. The flagship of the human fleet being the most important vessel in what is left of the human race. She's kind of busy. And right. we see a little bit of tension here when we see that D's loyalty lies to the Galactica and her crew. And Billy made a stance against that by, of course, siding with the president. So I like that we see their jobs kind of getting in the way here a little bit. But overall, uh, what are your thoughts on this? This will they, won't they stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, I like I like here again the tension between political factions starting to form. Where you know you could look at the you know what's going on between D and Billy as like a microcosm of is sure. this what is happening across the fleet? Is news leaking about this? Are people going to start taking sides? Is it going to be some kind of you know, mutinous conflict where we're not really sure who's in charge anymore. And there's, you know, this division, which could be really dangerous in this time. And I imagine that is, that would play into the Cylon plan of, you know, dividing the humans and getting them to squabble and, and destroy mm-hmm. their unity. Um, that it got me thinking a lot about that. Uh, uh, as far as their little relationship stuff, I'm, uh, this is an episode where I was kind of like, ah, it's a little, you know, a little cutesy. I'm like, I don't really, <laughs> I don't need it as much. Um, but yeah, she's, I like that she is the one taking a harder line though. It, it does yeah. show that God, uh, Adama's, Adama's people are fucking loyal. Yeah. Her. Truly. Like Billy's the one who's ready. He, he's ready to be like, oh, that's just my job. You know, I'm doing my job. I'm standing by the president. But when it comes to me and you, that's me and you. Right. And she's like, no, it's always, <laughs> I, that you making that choice is a direct affront to me because it's an affront to Adama. Right. Um, so she, she toes that line a little harder. It's true. So. Apollo and the pilots uh, get back. Well, first Ty visits Bill in the infirmary, and then the power surges begin. We get some emergency lighting kicking on. We move over to Apollo and the pilots returning from their mission. They're hooting and hollering, uh, except for Apollo. He's not really sharing in their revelry. And Gator reports that uh, there must have been a virus. That must be what is causing this issue. As we recall, he had set up the firewalls in that very tense uh, sequence in the last episode. But apparently right. some form of virus must have gotten through. Uh, emergency power ends up kicking on. And while Gator's on the line with Ty, the power surges down. And Kelly says, the silence are on the starboard flight pod. Flight pod. We have been boarded. Oof. Boom. That's Damn. cool. I like boarding I, operations. Like, I like the a whole idea of that. Oh, me too. Me too. It does. It's one of those things that does surprise me a little, though, because Apollo, like, when he he's not... 
sharing and all the revelry because he's going, we missed something. Something got past us. We, you know, we missed a Cylon ship. Um, and I feel mm-hmm. like, uh, I'm like, did, did he, did he not radio this back? Did it was nobody aware? Like, I feel like that'd be a pretty major thing to say. Something got past all of our flak, all of our guns. Apollo even had eyes on it going towards the Galactica. I mean, I feel like that would have been something they were looking for, but boy, it did really got past them. Right. I thought the same thing. I thought that, I thought it, it's a little sloppy that a ship would land in the flight, in the flight pod and right. not be blown up and, it takes them a while to kind of get around to investigating it. Um, additionally, as soon as this first kill happens, you would... Well, I guess, no, I guess they know they've been boarded at that point because the power starts to surge. That's, that's what gives them away, correct? Right. 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 Yeah, that's their first sign. So Apollo and his pilots, Cat, Hot Dog, and the soon-to-be-clawed-to-death guy, they're all walking the hallway. They run into a centurion who guts the pilot. They all Ooh. run, which I thought was kind of cool. They're like, see ya. That that was realistic to me, them running. Oh, hell yeah. Like, they know they, they, they don't really have much to put up a fight with. Mm-hmm. I mean, these things are fucking huge. You know, it's it, this is, uh, like, it's funny. I like that you're coming. I, I think it's that you're coming back to the show. You're having to confront your memories of the show, and maybe it's aged. For me, knowing... Knowing that it was made, you know, this many years ago now, but I'm still coming at it at my fresh viewing, I'm already prepared to kind of, like, take aging CG in stride. <laughs> I'm yep, like, sure. that's fine. I can accept this. Like, I, I know that it's not going to be, you know, 2017 quality uh, CG, but I, I can accept it for what it is. I like how, I mean, I like the, the idea of these fucking Cylons slashing them with claws. Like, I I never expected to see that. I expected them to be marching around stoically with, you know, their laser cannon arms or something. And you made a good point in your opening impression of the, of the episode when you said that it turns this sort of nebulous threat into a visceral horror. Uh, I think that's a really good observation by you. Now, we do see kinetic, uh, kinetic conflict when they are at doing battles with these things, uh, the dog fighting between the vipers and the raptors, we do get to see some kinetic action, and I like that a lot. But we have yet to see this type of in-your-face threat and the very savage way that they just want to slash these guys up in hand-to-hand, and if they can't, they're going to blow them away with their fucking crazy arm guns. Yeah. So, yeah, good, good point by you there. Uh, so we get our opening credits. We pick right back up with them running. Um, and this is where Lee gets pinned to that. Uh, he gets pinned to that uh, ladder going up. Yeah. And boom, uh, he is saved by this Marine who shoots this thing in the back and kills it or the back of the head, I guess. And Lee immediately asks for a sit rep. They've been boarded and the Centurions only seem to fall to explosive rounds. And re- re- the Marines report that they're out of explosive rounds. That is it. That hmm. was our last one. And correct me if I'm wrong on this. I feel like I have a memory of a prior episode. Maybe it was Hilo and Boomer on Caprica taking out Cylons with their with their sidearms. I, I feel like I remember seeing that, but I, I could be wrong. They might have just been dinging them and never really brought one down. But I, for a moment, I thought I was like, are these more amped up Centurions? Like, are they more armored? Uh, no, they did, and I thought we were supposed to assume that was with a volley of explosive rounds into their bodies, kind of just blowing them away. Mm. But it might be an oversight. I don't think you need to shoot them in the head. I don't know. Maybe they were just saying because they have limited shots that if, if you shoot one in the center mass or 
in a limb, you're going to blow it off for sure, but it's still going to be a functional machine that is dangerous because right. these things are functional until they're really rendered inoperable by damage. Right. Uh, that's right. what makes those shots count. Yeah. And I think that's what they're saying. Unlike, okay, I got a whole magazine of explosive rounds. I'm just going to shoot the shit out of this thing like Hilo did. Uh, right. But right. but I could be wrong. That might be an oversight. That might be an inconsistency from the mini series. You got to remember it's, oh, no, no, it wasn't even the mini series. But um, but I feel like that's because they each had one round, which right. which begs the question: just give all of the rounds, or or split the rounds up amongst your two best shooters, the most competent fighters, and let them just open up on these things. That's it. Instead of it being some diplomatic, like here you go, Roslyn, you've never shot a gun. You're the <laughs> fucking secretary of education. Right here you go. Here's an explosive round. Don't miss. Here's Don't an explosive. Fuck it up. Okay, first of all. I don't. I, I know. I know you've been shooting and stuff because you live down south and shit. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm certain you've been shooting. Oh yes. Um, I brought my friend shooting once for the first time ever, and Ooh. watching him try to hit a can, let alone being thrust into a highly stressful combat situation. Right. That's what I mean. <laughs> it's not only is it okay. Shoot him in the head. Okay, I can shoot a. I could shoot a cardboard target in the head on a sunny afternoon when it's up against a backstop on my dad's property. But can I shoot a fucking giant thing in the head, you know, in the middle of this crazy thing? As it's sprinting toward me with full intent to kill me. Right, which is so crazy rare to even happen. Like, headshots are accidental most of the time. Dude, right, yeah. But it's funny because this... But this is what I mean. This is... I don't mind the heroics of headshots by by characters who are supposed to kind of be heroic. That doesn't totally. really bother me too much. As long as it doesn't get silly. Like, The Walking Dead, it's like every time they shoot, they shoot a walker in the head. I'm like, okay. Every fucking <laughs> shot's a headshot. You guys are like supreme marksmen. It's ridiculous. But enough about that. So, they get the set, they get the sit rep, and then Apollo gives Hot Dog a note to take to the Combat Information Center. Now, here's something I was a little confused on, and maybe I should have watched it more than once, but I thought that the phones were working because they use them later, or is it that they're kind of going up and down, and right now they're down? Um, I, I got the impression it was to try and, you know, they, they thought that their, their systems might still be compromised so that they didn't oh, really want to uh, rely see. on the phones or I the see. radios that the Cylons could tap into it. So they were like, here, my, my messenger pigeon, run! Makes sense. Send the raven, right? Game right. of Thrones style. <laughs> uh, that makes sense because they do end up uh, jamming the transmissions. But Gator reports the boarding party, uh, the boarding operation to the rest of the fleet, which was cl- which was a good move by Gata. He said, listen, here's what's going on. Consider us in this position. Sit tight. Don't anything dumb. Don't try to board. Don't try to approach. Uh, keep a safe distance should things get weird. And then that's when the signal gets jammed. That is it. So they are already they these Cylons move so fast uh, to to start shutting things down like they are. It's it's, you know, like I was saying at the top, like we we have almost really come to think of the Cylons as the human versions of the Cylons. And these, you know, the Centurions are almost just like guards they post at their doors like they don't really do much with them. But I like that this episode reminds us that, no, they are still basically their infantry. You know, when they need to have physical troops board a ship, they're going to dump in Centurions. That's what they do. And these things are not stupid. Like, they're not just big, dumb, you know, you know, like ancient toasters that don't know anything. Like, these, they hop into action. They're, like, sprinting into this plan, 
exactly the way they need to and jamming communications while they do it. Like I, I was impressive with just the ferocity of their attack. Me too. I'm a huge fan of boarding operations. You know, I've got I've got a couple of things in science fiction that I happen to love. I like cloaking devices. I like boarding <laughs> operations, um, which shows you why I'm such a fan of, say, Klingons. But Well, that's why I bought you the board game, Cloaking Devices and Boarding Operations. <laughs> Your awesome. favorite board game. That is my favorite board game. So <laughs> it's funny because when I think of boarding operations, I always think of, Something like Star Trek, where you have yeah. Klingons managing to board a Federation vessel, and they start to close in on you, and that's exciting. This oh, was dude, the you know, first time. Go ahead. I was going to say I love those episodes too uh, of Star Trek. We you know, especially when the Borg, you know, that you see them. Oh, they're actually beaming onto you know the straight sure. up into the, uh, the the main room. Uh, but I always thought it was so funny how they're like oh, they're beaming in, and then there's like five seconds of them materializing. I'm like, why aren't you just training your gun on that spot where they're materializing? <laughs> like, wait for them to fully materialize and blast their ass. Like. You got a minute. You got a minute to waste them. That used to always bug the shit out of me. I was like, fucking Worf, just wait there with your big Klingon club until they're fully materialized and knock their head off. Yep, there you, you go. You can see where they're coming. Oh, yeah. I, I was, but anyway, my point was that they are... I always liked it when Klingons would board Federation ships because I always thought to myself, like, that feeling of, yes, now we got these fucks. Because, you know, the, the Federation always had better tech. <laughs> And now they're on board and they're like, well, your tech ain't going to save you because now we're in your hallway. It's awesome. Yeah. But with this, it doesn't matter. They Not only are they outgunning them in space, they for sure are going to outgun them when it comes to boarding operations. So, Ugh, All those, those fleshy meat bodies they got to fight against. That's <laughs> nothing. So at the, we go to the brig and we see this Marine named Venner, Billy, Roslyn. They hear the gunfire, the chaos, that... Uh, those uh, bassy thuds and pops. Uh, she demands uh. a cell be opened. Of course, Venner complies. Uh, <laughs> Apollo and the Marines show up with Cat, and Apollo says, here's what's going on. And that's when he decides that they, meaning Venner, Rosalind, and Billy, and I think a couple of the Marines need to head to sick bay, where it'll be secure. And Apollo gives Billy a pistol. He offers him to Rosalind. She doesn't take it. <laughs> right, so they kind of I... converge on the brig, and then he says... We need to go toward the gunfire. You need to go away from the gunfire. And here's where you need to go because it's secure. It is secure. I like that little tidbit of uh, background that he gives about that, that the, the sick bay is actually designed to be the part of the ship that survives if Galactica is lost or overtaken or even blown up, I imagine. Like, it is, I, I almost, it made me wonder if it's like a detachable part of the ship in like a total emergency. Mm. You know, that's such a human frailty, such a human weakness. Wait, what is that that safety feature. I mean, if it was a Klingon vessel, oh the, yeah, totally. the disaster yeah. pod would be where the warriors are because the sick people aren't going to win you anything. They're they're fucked. Let them go, <laughs> right? The infirmary, get out of here. How about the goddamn barracks? How about the ready room where we can actually yeah. launch a goddamn counterattack? Forget the sick and dead people. Forget the people <laughs> with the bum knees who can't fight anyway. They're just going to get slaughtered as it is. Let them Dean, go. What are you doing? Don't drown that baby, Dean. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> 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 the humans it had a cold. win. We don't have resources to treat it. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> That's funny. A modest proposal. <laughs> Delicious babies. <laughs> so, uh, dripping with sauce, right, C Lab? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Oh, fuck. Baby back ribs. Um, so, Hilo and Starbuck, they're walking Hilo the streets. They decide to head out to the city to try to find a raptor they can steal from an airbase. So they're thinking, we got to get off world. We got to get something we can fly. And the only thing flyable is some sort of Cylon craft. We do know that Starbuck knows how to fly Cylon craft, which is nice. And then they kind of stop while they're walking. There's something clearly on both of their minds here. This whole thing. This whole Hilo fucking Cylon lady. (laughs) Pregnant with his half-human baby. But uh, he says, do you want me to say I'm a fracking idiot? Okay, I'm a fracking idiot. I've been here by myself for months. She seems so real, like Sharon, you know? All the little things. I fell in love with a machine. It's stupid, so just call me an idiot and let's be done with it. You're an idiot. (laughs) <laughs> but the Cylons have a way to make us all feel like idiots. Boom. I I do, man, this scene, I felt so fucking bad for Hilo. I feel oh. so awful for him. Maybe of any damn character on the show. It's so because, true. And I, I love that he says it out loud to somebody here. That he, It's like, oh, you can say, you know, you, oh, you've had it so hard on the Galacta. You guys are under attack all the time. You're trying to protect the fleet. But you are surrounded by your compatriots and friends. Like, Dude, I am alone on a nuclear wasteland that was once my home, being chased and hunted by Centurions. For months, and, and I'm wounded. Months, months, and they're running out of anti-radiation medicine. They're like, the fact that, oh, yeah, fuck, I was tricked by a Cylon who looked like one of my friends. I thought it was her. Fuck me. Like, so sorry mm. that I thought that. Like... Yeah, but I mean, I and then this scene, I do appreciate Starbuck not, you know, she lets off in a very Starbuck way of letting off yes. on him of like, well, you are a fucking idiot, but I can't totally blame you. Like, right. I did like, I like their dynamic that that's mm-hmm. beginning to form, but I, I feel like I was expecting more from them in this episode. Like, I wanted, to, I wanted right. to see a a lot longer of a conversation between the two of them. Gotcha, and you might have that chance next week. Well, next episode, I shouldn't say next week. <laughs> anyway, Starbuck tells Hilo she has a place and that she needs to pick something up. We cut back to the CIC. We have Kelly, the landing signal officer, Gata, the watch officer, and of course, Colonel Ty having a little chit-chat. Gata says, essentially, the main power is about an hour away. Uh, Kelly reports that the sounds are on two forces, one moving four, one moving aft, which, of course, Ty recognizes, I've seen this before. The Cylons will attempt to gain control of the decompression safeties. They will then vent the crew into space and then turn the Galactic on the fleet, thus destroying humanity. There you fucking go. So that's the threat, okay? So in the first few minutes of this episode, we establish the threat. We can't let these guys do that. We have to stop them from doing that. So here's where I want to jump in and just say, so this is, this is the presented external conflict for this episode and what it means to the fleet. But I never quite felt like, and this is why I don't love this uh, retrospectively as much as I did when I first saw it, I never really felt like, like the premise is set, there are dark hallways and and cool flashlights, but it never really panned out the way I wanted it to. I never felt like all this tension. I never felt like there was ever a great payoff for them just to kill these things. Does that make sense? Like, I yeah, like the I lead up. I like the moving through the corridors. I like them coming across bodies um, and, and stuff like that. Like, oh, we're going to get to this locker. We're going to get to that locker. But I never felt like, holy shit, there's this terrible thing that's going to happen at what a cost. 
and then they just wait and they just like blow them up at the end. I was like, oh, okay. It was, it, to me, it <laughs> yeah. didn't feel quite as the same as I remember it, if that makes sense. Right. And well, I know I'm one, getting ahead of myself, but. One thing that, that I kept thinking about, at least, you know, I still, it's been a while since there's been as much focus on it, but just the actual total population number. Uh, and when I, when I, when there's those scenes of you hear the Cylons up ahead and they're kind of catching mm-hmm. up to them and you're just hearing not like a guy or two fighting them. It sounds like whole squads at a time opening up on this, at the Cylons and just getting slaughtered. God knows. They don't really say, but God knows how many people they were, were killed in this episode. Like I would imagine it's not impossible to say pilots and Marines and civilians on aboard the Galactica, maybe 30, 35 people fucking killed by these things. Like, mm huge swaths of their people and their soldiers. Um, yeah. That's something I kept thinking about. I was like, man, their their manpower is just getting so depleted by this. Because I do kind of see what you mean of how it didn't feel like quite the existential threat that somebody, you know, it's it's one thing when you're looking at the, you know, a Cylon Bay star with hundreds of raiders flying out at it and they're like, oh my God, this they're coming for us right now. They can wipe us and the entire fleet out right destroyed. now. I think, I think if I yeah. can jump in for a second, I think part of the problem is just killing all these people off camera. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Uh, like like you said, it, it it's almost like it wanted a horror feel, right? It wanted a, it almost went for a horror movie feel, and right. um, which I guess they did pretty well. But maybe I was just hoping for something else, and and that's really the what stakes it comes just didn't feel very big for you. Yeah, I guess I guess to put it simply, that's it. Okay, I see what you mean. I mean, I because it is it it's kind of the risk you take when you make it this much more like intimate. You know, sure. five people in a hallway kind of grounded combat situation that it doesn't feel as big. It doesn't feel as at like as much is at risk. Maybe if they would have killed off a couple more characters, it would have. I honestly different. thought Billy was going to die in this episode. The way yeah. they kind of set it up. Yeah. I, I if, thought uh, when when Rosalind and him dive down from the gunfire that Billy was going to roll over like fucking. Well, I damn it again, Dean. I just realized you haven't seen fucking all of Breaking Bad, and I almost spoiled the shit out of it for you. You're mm. so lucky that I caught myself there. I almost spoiled you, the fuck out of that show. Damn it! But that's Anyways. what I mean. Like that's that's a, that's what you're what you're onto there is that maybe maybe you pop off a couple of more people and the stakes get a little higher. Um, but it just because it. Because of the nature of the Cylons and what's going on with them, you, you don't really ever get this protracted firefight in the hallway and falling back and fighting and falling back and losing people. It's just they come around the corner, right? Right. You don't really lose anybody. You, you lose one guy who we don't even care about. <laughs> they lose a couple red shirts, yeah. Which is funny because I'm so I'm such a man of contradiction because I always criticize The Walking Dead for saying you can't rely on character death to up your dramatic stakes. But maybe sometimes like, kill some characters. But maybe sometimes you need to. Maybe sometimes you need to. Just you can't rely on it for all of your emotional thrusts. Which, no. of course, in my opinion, I don't think Battlestar Galactic relies on that. No, no, I don't think so either. Anyway, let's talk about Cobol. Oh baby, <laughs> the fucking Gaius visions, dude. Good Gaius, Lord. what is he doing? Man, he is really in the thrall of some fucking Cylon brainwashing propaganda power right now. I mean, I, I think all of the, you know, these visions, these dreams, these are fully engineered. These are being delivered to him. This is mm-hmm. not him, you know, this is not his own mind conjuring these things up, you know, the way he would if he was having troubled sleep. Like, this is, this feels like Cylon rendered visions. So let me ask you this. 
do you think that there's any possibility that something outside of empirical exists, right? In other words, do you believe in any, is there any thought in your mind that there could be something beyond science at work in Battlestar Galactica thus far? Do you think it's all fuckery in that, in other words, do you think that Gaius has, can, or will ever have what you would constitute as a vision um, or any of the characters? Do you think that any of the gods exist? Do you think that any of this stuff with Rosalind matters? Or do you, or are you falling? Because I know you've, you've, you've talked about grand schemes and grand manipulations. Yeah. In other words, do you think in this universe that there is some sort of higher power or powers at work? Yeah, that is beyond the Cylons of the humans. Yes. Probably a better uh, way a, to say that. That's a tough one. How I, about I, thus far? Thus far, I lean towards no. Okay, um, cool. would, I, would I say that it's impossible for that to be revealed? No. I, I think it's certainly possible. Um, and I, like, I, I mean, I know I'm jumping way ahead and really speculating now, but I almost like the idea of like, you know, fucking Star Trek, the motion picture style, like the Cylons have actually come in contact with God or something somehow. And like, that's how they know all this. And like, they're, they're more in contact with the gods or God than the humans are or something like, I, I think there could be some crazy shit like that that gets revealed. Everything thus far, even in this episode, I still lean on like... This seems like Cylon manipulation because they have right. shown they've been shown to have essentially godlike powers as far as what they can do to a person. I mean, it really can't be overstated the fact of six being a constant, you know, presence uh, uh, to Gaius now, and we still don't know the means of which they're doing that. Did they sneak a chip into his brain, or are they just projecting? you know, constantly a hologram to him. Like, how are they, how is she manifesting to him? I mean, that's some pretty extraordinary power. Um, It's funny you say that because, uh, you know, the idea of something beyond our comprehension, I think is what makes this series so interesting. Um, And and just just a reminder, we say this at the top of the show, but I've seen all the episodes and Matthew has not. So he's experiencing them as they come, which is why I don't spoil anything, which is why, I ask him some prompting questions just to get a feel for where he's at. But in this case, we can we can talk about this without me spoiling anything in the future. But I think it's fascinating, and, and I don't want to go off on a, on, a, on a really long philosophical bent here, but I like the idea of human beings and conceptualizing things, right? Uh, this is something that I, that I remember. I took a medieval history class, um, at, at the University of Massachusetts at Dartmouth, um, which is where the Boston Bomber went, holla. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, alumni, woo! <laughs> and, uh, his name was, uh, Dr. Pontbriand. He was awesome. Uh, traces, uh, his lineage back to Charles Martel, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I remember I was about him to say, saying, with a name like that, it sounds like a wheel of sword. Oh, yeah, sure. absolutely. And he said to me, he said, um, you know, think about the Black Plague for a minute. Think about what happened and, and what caused all this death and how people had no concept that there were these invisible creatures attached to their bodies, that they would sneeze out of their lungs onto surfaces that other people would touch and then touch their eyes and nose and thus transmit the disease. How that conceptually did not even enter their mind 
and that they could never really understand it if you were to tell it to them in that moment. Yeah. That's fascinating. So it's funny that we're sitting here talking about the merits of, say, something that could, to us, with our vocabulary and with our own conception, discuss the power of, say, God. It's possible, and this is all theoretical, and I'm just kind of throwing this out there as a prompting idea, but it's possible God could just yet be this, or God's, could yet be this unexplainable thing that we just don't understand yet. And simple concepts to us really are largely irrelevant to the larger being. Like, you walk outside, you step on fucking 60 ants, and you annihilate their life without even considering what just happened. And they for sure have no fucking clue what just happened other than they were destroyed and that the hive has to rearrange things and clean up and, and find a new food path. And I, and I guess that's my point here is that we're debating this, not debating, but we're, we're discussing the finer points of, is this really a vision? Is something supernatural? And maybe the question remains, does it even matter? Because it's happening and it isn't really quite explained yet. Right. It's kind of it's kind of cool. I know I just really opened up a big can of worms here, but <laughs> this is just me sort of thinking out loud about these larger than life concepts and just the concept of supernatural in general. You know, uh, a good friend of mine said that the term supernatural to him is so silly because all it means is it's something that we have yet been able, unable to explain via science. He's an atheist. And um, and I said, well, actually, that's the literal definition. <laughs> it doesn't mean <laughs> yep. there are some things that might be considered supernatural. Maybe in 1763, we consider things supernatural, which then, through science, we determine are not, in fact, supernatural, and we can ap apply our own concepts and laws to them, uh, and math and physics and science and experimentation and et cetera. Um, but anyway, yeah, I was just no, like, I, it's pretty cool to think about, because this show does that. It's very thought-provoking, which is why I love this fucking show, even though this is a weaker episode. <laughs> well, yeah, no, and I, I agree. I think it's a it's a worthwhile point to to think about uh, as far as Gaius goes, because, yeah, if he were having genuine, you know, like visions that are beyond, you know, from beyond the Cylons or the humans, you know, maybe actually from the the gods that they worship, you know, we would never really quite be able to tell. It would be hard to sort that out from from what influences he's still receiving from six. What makes me always what makes my skepticism come up and go, ah, I still think this is part of a a Cylon delivered message is because. She seems to always expect what he has learned from his visions. Mm -hmm. Like she seems ready for it. She seems to sure. continue. She's ready to continue the narrative that he's had in his dream. She's like, ah, yes, of course. He's trying to kill our baby. Like she is so prepared as if it's all part of one presentation she's giving him to, to really reel him in. Right. Which could explain the fact that she's a manifestation of his own subconscious. Mm -hmm. Right, things he might already conceptualize, he already knows subconsciously because it's in fact coming from his own mind. Um, but I do like your point there. I do like that. Uh, one thing to consider, though, is that. So, so, so let me ask you this question, and this is not. Trust me, I'm not leading you to anything to spoil anything. I'm, I'm really cool. just asking to ask you. But do you think the Cylons have an ability to reprogram a human's brain? And change their belief structure. Mm. I mean, I think that's what we're we're witnessing six trying to do that. Um, okay, so 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 in other words, so that answer means that maybe maybe that's what they're trying to do. They're not sure how to yet because the yeah. obvious answer to the question, from my point of view, would be is if you said yes, then I would say then why the whole fucking mystery, right? If they uh, could yeah, simply yeah. just do it, why go through this whole process of making it a game? 
I see what you mean. Yeah, no, you I don't. See what I mean? Yeah, I don't think they do quite have the the ability to you know Matrix style plug something into your head manually right. just change the ab- the actual like you know neural connections be like and now you are our robot like right because why I, not I just still, do that right why the why game? not just do it why fuck well but then again that's that's a whole mm. other can of worms because there's a whole lot of stuff where I'm like well why not just wipe out the fleet they could fucking do it like they they've had opportunities to do it Indeed. um and that's a whole another thing but I do I think this is that's because, right. You, you know, this, right. You have said that before. You do believe that this is uh, this is a case sometimes of of the Cylons letting their foot off the gas. Oh yeah, man. Because uh, I mean, there are. I mean, and I can't you know riddle them all off, but I mean, there's got to have been at this point at least three or four times where I'm like, if the Cylons wanted to, that had been that. Like they could really just put their boot on the throat of the fleet and Galactica, and that would be it. They could just wipe them off. And they've kind of let off. They've kind of let them just keep going. You know, right. they, it didn't seem like they were trying to truly annihilate them. Um, and and that's, I think, a big part of what we're still we're still learning slowly about the Cylons is that they really do have this whole faith in this whole thing. Like, I don't think even if even if they had the ability to sit there and just manually just. F- sheer force of their own will reorient a human being's brain and make them what they wanted they wouldn't want to do that they would want to by by way of showing by way of persuasion by way of convincing prove their way to be the right way to them and like sway Mm -hmm. them you know the good old-fashioned i have brought a brought a new acolyte into the fold kind of way right do it because do it do it out of desire not obligation right Mm -hmm. let the brothers see the light Right, right. Because then you have to ask yourself, do you believe that Laoban believes in his spiritual and religious rhetoric? Or do you or is he just trying to manipulate people? Why yeah. is he insisting on there being one God and not many? Why is Six insisting on one God and not many? Is it because they're trying to manipulate people? Or is it because they really believe in this really out there thing compared to what the twelve colonies were founded on? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, man. Not awesome. sure yet. It's I'm still shit. not sure. Oh, so good. So he has some visions here. Let's just get right to him. Yeah. So he wakes up. Adama helps him up. What do you have there? A child, obviously. A child. <laughs> Can I hold it, please? Adama asks. Guys hands the baby to Adama. And Adama <laughs> says, is this the shape of things to come? And uh, Guy says, that's my understanding. Only one thing for it then. Adama walks the baby through the field and just lets it go in the water. Guy desperately tries to recover the baby. He wakes up in the forests of Kobol. Six is there. And they have this very uh, fascinating dialogue where he says, he killed our baby. I saw him drown the baby. Why would anyone want to drown a baby? The answer is all around us, Six replies. He stands up. There are skulls all over the place. Gaius asks, what happened here? She says, human sacrifice, not the fairy tales your scriptures would have you believe. And he says, I thought Koba was a paradise where gods lived in with the humans in harmony. Funny that Gaius even says that. Right. Because he, you know, he is a man totally aware of all of the actual scriptures and lore. He just has up until very recently not believed any of it, thought it was all right. bullshit. But I think he he understands it the way, you know, 
somebody who studies literature understand you know knows the, a lot of the Bible and knows a lot of you know the Quran or whatever. Like they they study these things in an academic sense, but now he's starting to plug that knowledge into this. You know, he's being manipulated, and he's he's seeing it through the lens of this Cylon faith. Hmm. And last we we saw when he did have his crisis of faith, when he did thought all was lost, he did say, you know, he he, he we've seen him. In as many words, tell six, I am now a believer. I, I do believe. Yeah. And, um, and now he's saying, you know, I thought Coble was this. And she says, for a time, of course, until your true nature revealed itself, your brutality, depravity, and barbarism. Oof. And that's when Gaius asks, are the scriptures a lie, a cover-up? And she says, exactly. So this is important. She then does the lay open line. All of this has happened before. All of it will happen again, Kara right? That guy. <laughs> Gaius yeah. says, Adama, so he will try and kill our baby. And she says, only if you let him, Gaius. <sighs> so, I want to back this dialogue up, because, so the scriptures are a lie. Exactly. I mean, this is, is this not what we were just talking about before we got into the scene when we were theorizing about the philosophy of Battlestar Galactica? Which is, are they, this, this, there's a Christian parable here, is there not? Oh, totally. This is this is Christianity entering Rome, right? <laughs> right, right, totally. This is the many gods, the warlike people. They're many gods. They're conquerors, and all of a sudden, this is other group of people talking about the one God. And then uh, fucking Flavius Succus Mydicus is like, I don't want to fight anymore. I want to be a Christian. And the <laughs> Romans go, We better fucking kill this Jesus guy. <laughs> we get out the hungry lions start selling tickets yeah I don't need my fucking soldiers quitting because they want to be all like loving thy neighbors and shit <laughs> right that, how are we supposed a, to have slaves if everybody's loving thy neighbor how are we supposed to how are we supposed to continuously conquer Gaul if we can't fucking <laughs> if a bunch of people are going to be talking about like turning the other cheek and shit how am I going to whack someone's head off with my gladius <laughs> so that's what <laughs> I mean like that's that's interesting that it's it's a cool it's a cool you know it's a cool parallel to to our own history of Christianity entering which of course yeah. then gets bastardized and spun around and used for like crusades but you get my point right but and I I like how th- there's even an implication that when she says this has all happened before and it will all happen again that even the again she's referring to here has already happened again with, you know, he, he talks about the humans and the gods living together. I kind of imagine that the, at the Cylon's inception, the humans were the gods. The Cylons were their creation. And, uh, you know, eventually, the I guess the gods in this situation, being the humans, punished the Cylons, tried to, to destroy them. And that's why they rebelled or, or they, you know, because that's that's something not talked about much in the show is what led to the original Cylon insurrection, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the, the original war and them eventually leading. Like that is a history totally still in the vapor. Like we don't know much about it at all. Yep. Yep. Um, so I can tell you a little bit about that if you want me to. Ooh, if it doesn't spoil the ending of the show. <laughs> uh, it, it won't. How about this? Um, let me see here. I just got to be careful. Here's what we know here because, because I don't want to spoil the show. I just want to recount what, if you, if you were to say, Hey, Hey Lee or Hey, or Hey Bill, what happened? Why did they fight? Right. Right. I don't want to get into any spoilers, but essentially you had, um, the relationship between, um, man and Cylon basically just turned hostile 
The Cylons essentially got too smart. Instead of acting as subservient tools, they began to view their subjugation as slavery. Um, and this was, of course, compounded by religious tensions uh, and that, that, that whole thing, right? Right. So the Cylons end up rebelling and war begins. It's pretty much that simple without okay. going too deep into it. It's it's so essentially much, it's pretty Skynet. much the basis of every yeah of every yeah. sci-fi robots against humans. We are tired of being your robo butlers. Mm-hmm. No more, no mm-hmm. more will I make my metal twiddly mustache and carry around fruit on a platter. Right, right. But it did. There were some pretty bad in, implications. Uh, so, so as the show opens, if you recall, we have the Armistice Station, right? Uh, this truce, but. Um, the 12 colonies suffered greatly as a result of this war because it, it brought them to the brink. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it, the original war almost crippled them, yeah. Indeed. Um, and, you know, you can learn on about the colonies before the war, etc. But, um, and, and, how they were con- and how they were created. And it was a company who said, ooh, we're going to build this thing. It's going to be awesome. And that's very, it's very Skynet. It's very self-aware. Now we're going to do our thing. Uh, but the difference in this is, well, I guess it's, yeah, it's it's that part of it without getting too deep and into spoilery territory is, is your basis for what the average bear believes. Gotcha. Um, this exa- All of this has happened before all of it will happen again. Stuff is fascinating. Though, the cyclical preaching that Laoban and Six both get into. Yeah. So that's that. Let's move on to, let's get back to the Galactica and away from this hippy-dippy shit. <laughs> all these fucking these fucking barefoot people in the woods yeah, laying around people. talking about their sex babies so Galactica um, deck 12 small arms locker corridor Apollo and his crew move through the hall they come upon some corpses uh, they keep moving and eventually storm the small arms locker inside they find Jammer with some more corpses and some explosive rounds six to be exact so this six is, is it yeah um, so, and we get, like we already discussed, the silliest decision of the show. All right, glorified janitor, you get to have one of the very only explosive rounds we have. Cool. Yes. Great. <laughs> Fucking awesome. Outstanding. Put so, down your mop, pick up your gun. Yeah. So um, let's get into uh, Starbucks House. Some of the stuff you were less favorable on. <laughs> but let's, um, let's, let's give a little props to Philip Glass. Let's have a quick listen to the beginning of this Metamorphosis uh, Part 1 that we hear playing in her place. Nice. It's awesome. I love it. So she's listening to this, and in, and in her story, it's <laughs> her dad's the composer. I'm like, holy shit, her dad's Philip Glass. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Damn, your dad's Philip Glass, but no, not really. And this is this piece of music is actually a tribute to Franz Kafka's Metamorphosis. Oh, interesting. Right, Mr. I Turn Into a Bug. Right metamorphosis does it mean something are they transforming into something else interesting right Mm, no i had definitely not thought about it from that point of view something to think about but uh definitely a cool piece of music like i said uh philip glass is the composer he's what you'd call a 
a minimalist composer. He composed this particular piece, or at least it was released in 1989. It's been around a long time. And uh, minimalism, minimalism is cool. I don't know much about it in any other art outside of music, but it's, you know, it uses very simple phrasing. Uh, and but, but it is also able to achieve some pretty remarkable emotional states, right? You got your consonants, your dissonance, your, your it's favorable sound or your unfavorable sound, and you just kind of build your mood around it, which is so fucking cool. And um, I really like it. I highly recommend checking out Philip Glass. Um, if you like to write, um, a lot of times if I'm going to scribble something down, I'll throw on some Philip Glass. Um, I'll throw on some Arvo Par. I'm probably mispronouncing that. It's A-R-V-O <laughs> space P-A-R-T uh, with a little umla over the A. Uh, but both composers I highly recommend checking out if you like this kind of sound. This the sound that you would expect to hear if you were driving through some <laughs> sort of twilight through winter. A rainy noir setting. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yep, it's good yeah. shit. No, I've definitely heard his music in other movies and shows. And I've oh, absolutely. Enjoyed it. Yeah, he's good stuff. So um, I also like that she listened to it. This is, this is another thing I like about the scene, like the fact that Starbucks enjoying this piece of music. Uh, enjoying this simple moment by sitting in this place she used to live with her old jacket on, smoking a cigar and just relaxing. Um, yeah, and I like that. So your your hang up on this scene comes with her, kind of just literally saying, "I never pined over my old crap." Um, everyone's fighting for what they had. I'm fighting because I don't know anything else. I that's the thing. I. I like this scene as far as Starbuck being Starbuck. Like, she is truly, you know, consistent with her character and who she is. And she, I, I find it interesting, her relaxing, in a sense, uh, in this scene. But it all it almost feels like her giving up a little bit. Um, and I like that. I mean, to be honest, I did like this reveal of, you know, I don't really have anything I'm, like, fighting for. I just fight because that's what I know how to do. That's what I, that's what I am, mm-hmm. a warrior. Um, I liked that. And I was like... Go on. Like, I, it was just something I, I just wanted a little more of that because a lot of this scene is just kind of a a slow walk into the, you know, her apartment. They sit down. He's just, you know, he was like, huh, this is your place. You look like this is like where the guitarist for a bikini kill would live. Like, I didn't think you would fucking live in here. Like, you know, it just seems, you know, a little odd. And then they just sit down and, you know, she says a few things about herself there and that's it. Like, Hilo has no response. He doesn't ask for anything. And it's, it's just kind of this odd, quiet scene. And, and, I don't know. I, at first, I just didn't know really how to feel about it. I was like, okay, so she has you know nothing to fight for. Like, I almost wanted her to talk more about how, man, I now that that's gone, uh, you know, I don't, you know, there's no way to get back. I'm like, I, I wanted, I guess, to he- hear more about how she's losing faith in these causes and and the point of these things. Like, I want to hear Starbuck talk more about that. Interesting, because I I kind of took it as the cause is irrelevant. The fight's all that matters, right? Mm-hmm. Like, one of the things I like about this scene is she walks into this old place. She doesn't get sentimental at all. She doesn't walk around doing... Like, if if, if you were... If you knew that your home world was destroyed and whatever relationships, whatever people, neighbors, whoever were around, you'd think you'd be banging on doors, right? None of that happens here. She simply walks into her house 
puts on her old jacket, sparks up a stogie, which she's happy is still there, and puts on a piece of music that her father composed, which means she probably thinks favorably of her father, unlike her mother. And she sits down, and she just smokes a cigar. She doesn't look for anything. She doesn't rifle her old pictures. She doesn't talk about the art and the weird scrawlings on her wall. She doesn't do anything. In in, In one of my favorite moments of this scene is... When she says this, I'm fighting because I don't know how to do anything else. She puts her leg up. Hilo looks at her. He's kind of amused because he's like, well, this is Starbuck, right? You can see that on his face. And then he puts his foot up and he says nothing. And I really liked the idea of him to say nothing in this moment and do what Quentin Tarantino describes in Pulp Fiction as, can't you just shut the fuck up and comfortably enjoy silence for a moment? Right. <laughs> Remember when, uh, when, uh, what the hell is her name? Uma Thurman? Yes. Uh, is talking to Travolta and they have that little exchange. She's like, you know, you know, it's not an awkward silence. You just can comfortably share silence and shut the fuck up for a minute. And, and that's kind of what I felt here. Um, you know, she doesn't, you know, it's, is it tropey for her to say AC's broke in the summer, heat don't work in the winter, rent's a crime? Sure. But I almost feel like she's saying that almost as a as a jest to the whole fucking ridiculousness of it all. Because it's all been right. bombed into nothingness. And she <laughs> doesn't give a shit. And that's what's so crazy about it. Now, the other thing I think is that you and I have a pretty intimate knowledge of Starbuck because we've seen the way she's interacted with people that really matter to her. We True. don't know what kind of relationship we have she has with Hilo. And the fact that she just says this outright to a guy we've never seen her spend too much time talking to, I thought was also cool. And I was yeah. like, wow, did Starbucks just kind of let her guard down with this guy? And, you know, Star- Starbucks is such a creature of feeling. I, I half thought of she was going to fucking climb up on top of him and start making out with him. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I, yeah. Do, do you I know what I mean? Because she's a such a too. creature. She's such a sensual beast. And I mean that <laughs> with all due respect. Right. Yeah, and I do, I like how there's already this kind of natural, you know, camaraderie between the two. Like, it does speak to, like, they were friends. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. like he was just some auxiliary background person. Or, like, you know, I think him and Apollo and Crashdown probably all knew each other fairly well. I think Hilo was part of her crew, their their crew of friends and acquaintances. Um, And I like how how natural it does seem between them. It's, It's not... You know, she ha- does not hesitate for a second to to come down on him really hard for being mm-hmm. around what was a Cylon, and and you know they're they're comfortable you know ha- going at each other like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, when I walk away from this, like I have no problem with what is said, what is shown. What you just is wanted more light on Starbuck. Yeah, in a way, I feel like that that would have been really it. I'm, I'm like, ah, I just needed more of of her. I wanted I wanted to see more of this this conversation unfold. Makes sense. So let's uh, head over to Rosalind's team moving through the corridors. They find some bodies. Rosalind, of course, is a bit shocked by this. She's not used to this. Uh, this is goes back to another thing you said at the beginning of this, and that is Rosalind dealing with life and death, having been the former Secretary of Education, now gets to stand among the bodies. Right. It's cool. I like. I do like that. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the... Like, I... I this aspect of the the off-screen, always just ahead of them kind of carnage, I actually liked it. I liked mm-hmm. that we didn't see too much of the Cylons in a way, that we're we're just seeing what the wreckage is that they're leaving behind and how 
how fucking monstrous and fierce they are. Like, I mean, like I was saying, you know, I, I think a, an estimate of 35 people killed is, is realistic. Maybe even be lowballing it. Like they, they are just laying waste to their, their troops. Yeah. I like that too, as it relates to Roslyn's part in this boarding operation. I don't right. need to see her in a firefight falling back. <laughs> I, I think yeah. for her character, this is what we want to see. We want to see her happening upon bodies and happening upon decisions that maybe she had to make and seeing what that means. Obviously, this is irrelevant. She was in jail. But her being amongst carnage is a nice reminder to her character as to what the stakes really are when you get down yeah. to flesh and bone. And I do appreciate that a lot. Me too. Me D's too. among and her. Right? Yeah. Uh, that was Believe. a cool touch. I liked how she was banged up and kind of out of it. Yeah. And um, I like, this is a nice little moment. We haven't had this in a while. I, this is a, this is a moment I appreciate in this episode of, you know, we see Rosalind get kind of shaken for a moment. Yes. Like, you know, it's she takes off her glasses. She kneels down. She's really looking at them closely. And in that moment where everybody's kind of all having the same kind of just nervous, like Jesus, it's really this bad reaction. She does put her glasses back on. She stands up. She starts being the leader again. She, you know, she tells the corporal who she was with in the jail cell, all right, we need to find another way around to the sick bay. Where is it going to be? You need to go ahead and, you know, you know the ship. I don't, um, you know, and I like how when Billy's trying to to talk to Dee, she says, use her rank. Yeah. Like she, she's the one who suggests that to him, like talk to her in this way. Yeah, I like that too. That was good shit. Good leadership out of Rosalind here. They move out. We head over to Gata, Kelly, and Ty. We get a little check-in here. Not much. Gata gets a note. Uh, we learn that Hadrian had to halt her advance. Now, do you remember Hadrian, Sergeant Hadrian? She was the one uh, really up uh, our boy Ty's ass, right? I mean, uh, no, uh, the chief's Zero. ass. Yeah, she was the one who ran that investigation. It's cool that we still hear about her off-camera. I actually like that. Me too. Me too. Uh, we learn there's nothing between the last two Cylons and the DCOM safeties. If you know any prayers, now's the time. Says, I wanted him to break out a flask right after that line. So bad. <laughs> says Michael Hogan. That's Michael Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> Time to pray to St. Jameson. Cobol, <laughs> uh, Callie, and Tyrrell are on the move. Uh, they take a moment to sit, which I like. Callie, uh, Tyrrell's sort of resting with Tarn's death, was it? That is. <laughs> Impactful death of. Name I can't remember. <laughs> yes, Tarn. Tarn. And <clears throat> yeah, she calls him a mother fracker, which Tyrrell gets a kick out of. They kind of hug a little bit here. Um, <laughs> they, they're talking about and thinking about so sinus, and um, you know we've we've got to get him the med kit. So they get up, they move out. We cut over to the POV on the other Cobol group, which of course crashed down, yelling at Gaius about moving off on his own. Whoops, knocking shit over here. Moving off on his own. One sec. Ugh, there we go. And, you know, guy saying, I got a bad feeling about this place. Of course, Chief Tyrrell and Callie get back. Tyrrell reports that Tarn is dead. He asks if they were followed. So Sinus is in bad shape. He's not going to make it, the medic reports. And I like this. Like, there's something fatalistic about this. This is a gut punch that I think is, is nice. So Sinus was a character. We've seen him before. He was the object of an episode when he took the fall for Tyrrell. We know what true. he means to Tiro. We understand that. And he fucking dies. Yeah. And it's cool. And, I, and this is thing, really good shit from Chief Tiro, I think. 
Yeah, and and what I like about this scene and the situation is, you know, it's not that Tyrrell is having to deal with the death. It's it's mm. it. I mean, that's obviously at the heart of it, but it's him having to deal with. Futility. No, but I did. I did the thing yep. to fix this. You know, I I did it. We accomplished it. You know, I think he is. Even though Tyrrell is a very capable guy and you know a capable leader, even he hasn't been. He hasn't had to be a leader in real life or death combat like this before. And right. and having that first instance, that first running into, like you said, the, you know, I think is a good way to put it. The futility of it, of like. Yeah, you might accomplish your goal. You know, you can set out this abstract goal as you know your team's little mission and accomplish it, and it still might not mean anything. Like that, that just because you accomplish your your abstract goal doesn't mean a concrete thing in the world. Like, okay, you went back and got the med kit, and you brought it back. That'll matter. The kid's dying. Like that's that. Yeah, uh, I that, imagine that's a tough pill for him. I imagine this is one of the most brutal things to have to deal with if you're in any type of military leadership whatsoever, which is. You can do everything right, and then something exactly. fucked up happens, and you lose somebody. Yeah. I mean, that's going to happen. That's just the nature of combat and the chaotic nature of it. And yeah. uh, that's exactly what happened. And, and, you're, and you're absolutely right. So Sinus dying sucks for the chief. We see that. But let's not miss out on the, on the, on the other point here, which is the fact that he said, okay, I did what I need to do, so let's, let's, let's do the thing now, right? This is what we needed to make him safe. We did what we needed, and he's still not going to make it. That's brutal. Yeah, exactly. And, and really? for a guy like Chief, here's what we do know. Um, thinking back on the episode that you weren't crazy about, right? Was it, um, I don't remember the name of it, but the thousandth landing for Flat Top, he gets killed. Oh, yeah, when the missile lose, in the bay goes off. <laughs> yeah, we lose some some deckhands and a, and a few pilots. And, uh, and Tyrrell explicitly says, never lost anybody on the deck before. Yeah. So we know that he's yet to have to deal with, A, just losing somebody through an accident, which is great, which is why he was the chief of the deck on the goddamn Galactica. Right. But B, now being in a situation where he's losing people because of wounds in a combat situation, which, of course, he's been in the military for 30-something years or whatever, so or 20-something, so he, of course, has plenty of experience, so he's not a fucking a total schlep. On, on, on a ground team, but he's also not a combat operator. <laughs> <laughs> no. And he's a guy who, as an engineer, is used to, all right, here's what I need to do to fix the thing. I do what I need to do, the thing gets fixed. People are different. Yeah. Totally. People are not machines. Oh, and it's brutal for when he, you know, kind of reflexively does that. And, you know, you can't blame him, but he's like, he's doing the thing where, like, well, I did it. So this is your fault. Like, do the thing. Like, he, he right. wants to, you know, point a finger and blame and and try to, you know, try and to still find a way to set it right. Sure. Uh, His emotions know, blame, find out. the thing to blame to fix it. Uh, and there's just nothing there. Like, you know, but again, he still steps up to Absolutely. to to make it right and say, okay, well, if we're, if we're going to go through the thing, you know, it's funny because he tries to appeal to to you know crash down and saying come on lt like we're, we're really just gonna put him to sleep like that's what we're gonna do and lt's like man he's your man like basically hands the you know the decision to him and when he really realizes it that yeah this is it we have no other resources to to help this kid he's the one who steps up and does it and that's that's some admirable brutal shit to have to do it's funny because when i first watched this episode um i thought much more negatively of crash down saying Look, you're the ranking officer, and I feel like you're stumbling into a good decision by accident because you don't want to make this call, even though it's the right call. 
right? It's almost like I blamed him in spite of himself, and I feel bad yeah. for that. But I do think this was a good call by Crashtown to give it to this Tyrrell guy who has, A, more experience than you anyway, and B, it's his fucking guy. Let him make that call. Yeah. And I do, yeah. I actually, I genuinely saw it as him being like, I really am deferring to you on this. Like, sure, I, sure. Out of respect that, you know, I'm not to, you know, because God, how awful would it be for him as lieutenant to be like, well, I don't care that you don't want to. Fucking put him to sleep like a dog and then zip up his body bag and let's head out. Like, oh, come on. That's brutal. Mm. So I like that he, he's like, no, if you, it's up to you, you know? And, I, and I, I do believe that he would have gone either way on it if Tyrrell was like, no, we're going to, we're going to move him. We're going to try and keep things going. You know, I think LT would have been like, well, okay, like, let's try. Yeah. This is awesome. This, this is pretty emotional, man. Like, like Tyrrell saying, hey, there's a rescue party here. We're going to take you home. I mean, this is this is hardcore. Good news, buddy. And society is like, yeah, we're going home, and then he just dies. Fuck, man, that's brutal for Tyrrell. Oof, yeah. And the I rest of the, the and the rest him. of the people in the group crying, the medic losing him, and that's rough, man. Yeah, yeah. Poor bastards all around. Poor bastards all around, eh? <laughs> all right, so let's talk about the main locker area. Paul and crew get there and, and open open it up. Uh, he contacts the CIC, gets access to a phone finally, and we cut to Roslyn's crew, and uh, we're starting to see what's happening here, right? They're moving towards each other unwittingly. Yes, they are, because uh, Roslyn's crew, on their way to the sick bay, you know, they keep getting cut off. You know, mm-hmm. one, one of the doors is, you know, pressurized from their side, so they can't open it. And she turns yeah, again bo- to the corporal. All right, how, how do we get there? Well, we need to go towards the aft. And so, yeah, they are they're headed towards the same place. Uh, aft damage control. Apollo and his crew set up some sealed boxes. They set up some cover. Uh, Roslyn and her team move out once the sounds of shooting stop. It appears that Roslyn's team are moving right at Apollo's overwatch position. Apollo tells Jammer not to shoot until the order is given. Um, sometimes you have to roll a hard six. I like that he quotes his father here. Um, headshots, <laughs> like headshots all around. Silence go right past Rosalind until Billy shoots, and then chaos erupts. Miraculously, nobody's killed except an unknown Marine. We don't really care about. That was me being salty. Um, Jammer says, uh, not so big now. They were big enough. Oh, look at that dead Marine we knew so well. <laughs> and then Rosalind has a hole through her jacket, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, I did. I love that the corporal's the one to discover that, too, of course. Right. Like, course. you know this moment right here is going to be the birth of a, a rumor that will become a myth that's going to become a fucking legend, of course. Yeah, that, you've mentioned you know, this before about Venner, and I do like your thoughts on that. That's awesome. That, yeah, this is going to spread, man. I, I feel like this is going to be the backbone of her support from here on out. That's going to, you know, assist with her still having, you know, power and influence. Yep. These, you know, these people who have this faith in her. All right. We're winding down. Winding down. Uh, well, this, we return to Hilo and uh, Starbuck again here, finishing their stogie, and she finds her car keys. Mm, nice car, by the way. dirty paint jacket. <laughs> oh, yeah, her fucking military Jeep. Yep. Um, let's see here. So her Jeep fires up. So how long has it been? That he's been on Caprica, yeah. How, how long is how long has it been since the attacks? I think um, I think it's like day fifty five or sixty. It's in that range. So oh, yeah, something like that. that long. God, no, it might be a little more than that. Well, one of my questions, you know, my, <laughs> me and some friends, one of which was Josh, we started one one day. We decided we were going to try to make like a role playing setting. Um, we kind of Ooh. abandoned it. it. Ended up being it ended up being just too many. Um, 
I think it was just one of those too many alphas in the same project together. <laughs> like it was just too much like, we're going to do this way. No, let's do it this way. No, let's do it that way. No, let's do it this way. My brother was involved. And I'm like, this is never going to happen because we never said you're in charge of this thing. Everyone defer to you. You're responsible for this. You're responsible. It was just like everybody just fucking throwing shit around. Just a bunch and, of monkeys beating their chests and yelling at each other. No, time. no. And it was cool because there was a ton <laughs> of good ideas that come out of it. But right. before I get too far off on a tangent, it was a post-apocalyptic idea that we had. And one of the questions we asked was, how long does gas last in a vehicle before it is inert? Ooh. I mm. looked that up at one point. I can't remember what the hell... Uh, I yeah. learned because I've I remember think it's Walking a year. Dead made me wonder about that. Really? Think, okay. Yeah, Walking Dead made me wonder about it too. I think it's only about a year, oh, and then it wow. and then it gets shitty unless it's in a sealed container. Oh, gotcha. So even if it's so in a gas tank, is that not sealed enough? I think they mean like at a gas station in one of those sealed underground things. Because oh. a gas, I don't think a gas tank with a cap is really airtight. True. Um, the straight dope suggests six months to a couple of years. Oh, okay. Wow. Damn, um, I've been replaying The Last of Us again, and there's a scene in there where they're talking about, uh, well, if we need to, we can siphon some gas out of the cars on the freeway. You'd be amazed how many cars still have gas in them. And in that mm-hmm. world, it's been post-apocalyptic for 20 years. <laughs> so I'm like, well, that's not accurate. There are chemicals you can put in, fuel stabilizers, but things like lawnmowers, you don't want to let it go more than 30 days. Like if you haven't used your lawnmower since last whatever it can be, it can degrade and get gummy and all fucked up, and it'll fuck up your mower. Most people don't do that; they just start it. <laughs> they don't dump it. <laughs> um, one guy says he left his Mazda Protege unused in a garage for over a year, and the fuel filter was clogged when he went to start it again. It started fine, but could not rev and was basically undrivable. So there's a good example. There you um, go. Crazy. I once bought a motorcycle with ten-year-old gas in the tank, and the bike wouldn't run at all. Um, so yeah, I guess it's going to vary. I'm sure where you are in the country matters since we're dealing with the U S here. Like if you're talking about going through harsh, harsh winters or harsh, harsh summers or, but yeah. So I guess it only being is a few months or what have you, I guess her car starting seems logical. I guess that makes sense. It fire right up. I mean, I guess it's not going to matter in another couple of weeks when they, you know, transform into human sized cockroaches because of all the radiation. But, uh, you know, God, a fucking poor Elo. I know, dude. Ugh, fucking Elo. Poor Elo. Elo gets through this whole thing, and then he grows like a fourth head. He just becomes a monster. <laughs> becomes one of the Futurama sewer mutants. Yes. <laughs> anyway, Billy visits D in the infirmary. They kind of kiss, kiss, make up. A little right? bit of smoochy smooch with Rihanna. Mm. Apollo, Ty, and Rosalind see Bill in the ICU. And we get this uh, awesome moment where Rosalind says, I assume there's a cell waiting for me. And Ty says, yes. <laughs> Without a moment's hesitation. Nope. I assume there's still a cell waiting. Yes, there is. Well, all right then. <laughs> it will leave your cold shoulder and head to my cell. So the dramatic nature of this next moment was kind of cool, but I'm not sure I really understand what Lee's talking about. So can we talk about this? You don't understand what Lee's talking about. What is his? What What's he trying to say here? Let's Let's. If you haven't watched it up in, in a while, let me just give you the dialogue. I can't believe you sided with a woman against the old man. I wouldn't do that if you put a gun to my hand, and you did. You're not fit to wear the uniform. To which Lee says, "Maybe I never was, but then again, neither were you. This isn't my ship, and it sure as hell isn't yours." When he wakes up, he will decide what to do with both of us. 
What? He's going to put a medal on Ty's chest for saving the shit. <laughs> the fuck are you talking about? This right. confused the shit out of me at the end of this. I could see him saying, yeah, you were never fit to wear it once upon a time either, so watch what you're saying, which would make sense because Ty was a fucking mess, right, as we saw from the right. flashback. Bill bails him out, keeps him from lighting himself on fire. But this part, when he wakes up, he'll decide what to do with both of us. Why? What's what? He's going to put Ty right back in second in command. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I it, that didn't bug me. I think but what, what is he, he meant, saying? I, I took it as him being like, I, I think it, not what he was going to do with Ty, but what to do with Ty's command as far as like you know, overrule, you know, Ty basically saying, all right, you, you stay in the brig, you're fucking done. Like, I think he's saying, if my dad wakes up wait, and wait, wait, says, wait. I'm pretty what? sure Bill gave the order to have Rosalind arrested. Rosalind, yeah. But I'm talking about uh, Lee. Oh, okay. That was Ty's decision. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was more. That was more Ty saying, "All right, he goes to the brig, you know, and he's basically out on probation and flying the, uh, you know, the the their ships." Um, but but yeah, so I, I took it a little more as like him saying, "My dad could wake up and and put me back in the brig, and that's that," or mm. he could say otherwise and overrule, you know, your previous order. Like sure. You know, basically saying that all commands given up to this point are moot once my dad wakes up and reviews them. Like, I defer only to him. I think that's that's okay. it just kind of a roundabout way of saying I don't even give a shit about your command. Like, I will follow your orders because they're technically the orders right now, but they will be waved away possibly by my dad. I get up. it. Okay. I'll accept that. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, man. So that's the end of the episode. Um, what are your final thoughts for Valley of Darkness? Oh, we forgot the last line of fucking time standing there. God, I'm sure I'm glad it didn't have kids <laughs> here in the Aussie outback. Thanks, Paul Hogan. Throw a boomerang. <laughs> Pull out a knife. Put a beast to sleep with your crazy Australian voodoo magic. <laughs> and your surf's up hand. Show us how Americans for 20 years will think everybody in Australia is just uh, this hard-ass individual (laughs) just like you. And have Australia be the first continent to collectively roll their eyes to death. (laughs) Instead of a bunch of, instead of a bunch of fucking, you know, tenderfoot, soft hand, no gun having fucking cheese balls (laughs) that they are in real life. (laughs) Fucking Vegemite smearing bastards. Just kidding. I love you fucking guys. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, I why did we start hating fucks. on them? <laughs> I love oh, you fucks geez. with your country the same size as the U.S. with about as many people as half California. <laughs> All that untamed country you guys can't get your hands around. <laughs> <laughs> Just one thin, one long, thin ribbon of coast and 500 square miles of wasteland. They're always like, nobody murders anybody in Australia. Look at the U.S. Yeah, look at the population numbers, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> also, nobody matters anybody here because the animals are too busy doing it for them. <laughs> but fucking A, might the snakes do a number on you. I thought about killing my neighbor, but a kangaroo jumped into his house and beat him to death. <laughs> and a coyote tried to blow him up. What? <laughs> Goddamn kangaroos fragging all me pals. <laughs> Boy. Uh, listen. What I is love, this show about again? <laughs> I love you fucks down under. Don't ever forget it. You know who you are. Almost not Scott. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, we have representatives for every we country. Re- we that do. We defer to our ambassadors. Our LSG ambassadors. LSG ambassadors. Dude, I'm starting an LSG ambassadors group. Oh, fuck. LSG United Nations. 
Yeah, yeah, we oh, got a shit. few. I already got. We're gonna we got ranks. We're gonna make badges. <laughs> <laughs> All right, la- final thoughts. Valley of Darkness. Let's get through this. Wowzers, um, man, yeah. Uh, I like I was saying. You know, I I, def- I definitely don't want to give the impression that I'm like, oh, this one sucked. I still think it was a pretty damn good episode. I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed it the whole way through. Um, I just thought, you know, like we said, the, the Starbucks you know, that- stuff is your biggest hangup, right? Uh, somewhat just because it was you know it felt at moments the the lengthiness of it felt a little like filler where i'm like what starbucks says and the actual exchanges they have i think are fine and good and i was interested that it just it felt like a little bit of a lead up to uh okay like uh, little blue I don't balls. Know. a little little blue balls i feel like i feel like their interactions are going to be a lot more interesting the very next episode um mm. you know it's going to be what they're going to be on a buddy buddy road trip next episode i suppose um and so i'm looking forward to that uh, I'm really looking forward to Adama waking up, man. Sure. Uh, I, I really want to see him come out of it. And, and I I wonder how much longer the show is going to keep him under. Like, I could see them doing it for at least another episode, maybe two, to where, like, he's not really up and about yet. Like, maybe he wakes up at the end of the next episode, and it's midway through the episode after that where he's kind of getting on his feet again. Like, I could see it taking a while. Um, sure. I hope not because I really want to see more Bill Adama. I want to see him reviewing what's been going on. I want to see him talking to Ro- – what I'm more desperate for than anything – is the sit down between him and Rosalind at this point. I want to see that conversation. How they're going to resolve it. How they're going to resolve it. And I, I, I imagine that Bill's going to wake up and not just be like, all right, where was I before fucking Boomer shot me? All right, back to the act. Like, I think he's going to have a slightly altered perspective. Um, and I, I think it's, I think this episode implies that with what Lee says at the end. I think he's mm-hmm. saying that, my dad is going to have say, of course, once he wakes up over what really is going to happen next. And I anticipate he'll be seeing things a little differently. Um, and I think, I think that's going to be the case. I, I, I can imagine, you know, I, as much as we, you know, we saw Gaius's own visions about the world that's going to come. I almost imagine Bill waking up, having his own first kind of existential worry and, and visions of maybe of what's, what is this? What's really at stake for me? I mean, how, how? What? What are we doing here? Like, I was just almost wasted by a fucking Cylon spy. Am I really going to go ahead and just continue on with, you know, overthrowing my government and dealing with all the protests there, or is there a better way of going about this? Like, I, I could see him having a, a, a not necessarily a softer uh, resolve or point of view, but just a different one. Just actually taking the time to step back and reconsider while he, you know, he recovers from two very near mortal gunshot wounds. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. As far as this episode itself, I liked, you know, like I said, the, the visceral fucking terror of seeing actual Cylon centurions, which again, with the fucking Cylons. Oh, you know what? Before, before I forget, I wanted to mention one other, it's a small, small, small thing that is tossed, uh, tossed out by Hilo very quickly and not really talked about much by Starbuck. Um, but he says, uh, one thing they noticed, you know, because Starbuck is like, huh, you know, I, w- I was expecting more bodies. I expected to be tripping over bodies out here. And he's like, yeah, you know, you know, Boomer, well, Cylon Boomer said that, you know, she saw them, uh, saw Cylon Centurions taking the bodies to some kind of big incinerators. And I don't know if that's Cylon bullshit, if that's still just kind of like some false flag thing that they're mm. doing, you know, that, that Cylon Boomer said to him. Or if they really are gathering up bodies, because that is when you think about it, you could you could mistake it for just like a production detail of like, yeah, they're not just not going to have bodies everywhere all the time. Like they're just not going to do that. Or that's a 
actual thing the Cylons are doing. Like they're they're cleaning bodies up. They're they're doing something with them. That's I don't know. Maybe they're using them to make further models of of Cylons that they're going to use. Who the fuck knows? It's some crazy shit. Like that was another small detail of like, damn, what the hell are they doing? Uh, so that that was a weird one. I just wanted to talk about that for a second. But um, but yeah, man, I I liked the threat of the Cylons appearing differently and and moving and changing like you can never you know like I, f- I feel like i've talked about this before you know but the threat of the borg the threat of the klingons or the romulans like it was always fairly straightforward i think the borg were the most interesting out of those you know if, of not really quite understanding them you know they're so they're so different from any other kind of species or race um you know their objectives and everything but still at the end of the day it was always assimilate resistance is futile that's what we're trying to do like that's it and with the Cylons, it's still the most terrifying aspect of them is, I don't fucking know. Are they trying to infiltrate us with, with ones that look like us? Are, are they trying to just dump big fucking Cylon toasters on us and slash us up like Freddy Krueger? I don't know. Like, they're doing one thing one day and doing a different thing the next. Like, they are so infathomable right now. And I, I like how that has still, that, that mysterious aspect of them has never shifted. It's always there. It's always changing and, and evolving and you never know what to, to expect with them. I like that. So that's I think that's why I enjoyed just the terror of the, seeing them in this way so much. Um, so yeah, man, I, I, I enjoyed this one. Definitely, definitely. It's not quite as good as the premiere, but hell, you know, resources, more resources are always dumped into your premieres than, than the rest of the season. Mm, excellent. A couple of quick production notes on this because I don't want to get into my final thoughts because I don't want to spoof, like, uh, spoil anything. So a couple of interesting production notes I'll just want to mention before we go for the day here is that um, after most of the shooting concluded, the episode was viewed as too heavy. Um, Moore, an executive producer, responded by adding scenes between Dee and Billy. Um, Moore felt that these bookends provide better context for the relationship. Um, the scene between Tyrrell and Callie, uh, some extra time between Starbuck and Hilo were also added to lighten the mood. Um, Adama drowning the baby was controversial because of its brutality. Um, you know what's crazy about this? What? How crazy that even is anymore. That's <laughs> nothing today. Uh, uh, uh. And Game Think of Thrones like, yeah, we chopped the guy's dick off and burned a daughter to death on a fucking pike. Whatever, 2005? So in 12 <laughs> years, we have become so desensitized. It doesn't, doesn't it seem like nothing? I mean, if we're being honest. Such savages. It's, come on. It seems like nothing. As far as I mean, TV it still shocked me. I was still like, oh, wow, watching Adama do it. But yeah, as far as like actual depictions of violence and like Walking Dead's like stomping dudes' faces Dude. in with fucking boots. Maggie. I mean, oh, Jesus. Right? Oh, I and mean, here's yeah. something. Here's something that, that I'm going to, this is me eating crow. Valley of Darkness received a nomination at the 2005 Visual Effects Society Awards for the Centurions. <laughs> I'm such a hey, dude. baby, it was cutting edge for the time. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, well, we will see you next time where we'll be talking wow, about... Wow, you really have no final thoughts. Holy shit. No. <laughs> no, I'm good. I don't... I've said it all, baby. Oh, God, Adama's going to wake up a Cylon. Fuck. All right. Uh, we'll see you next time with uh, the third episode of the second season. That will be called Fragged. Until the meantime, we'll see you out there. So say we all. <laughs>